Okay, we're so working. the second one. So we did popular education. The one, so the second one is the historical structural tradition of thought in Latin America. Why mm -hmm. in Latin America, at the time that Freire was growing up, I was growing up as an intellectual, we had theory of dependency, we have uh, philosophy of, uh, of liberation, we have theology of liberation, we have structuralism connected with the the mm -hmm. economics of trade that have affected Latin America mm -hmm. and essentially have benefited the US and imperialism so we wanted to bring this structural uh, historical tradition history mm -hmm. is essential without history we cannot understand the past and we then reproduce the uh, the problems of the past in the present so mm -hmm. We wanted to have this large carnucopia of theories that encompass this complex set of principles as part of the, the, the center. The okay. third element was the notion of autonomy. We wanted to be autonomy from any powers. It's kind of imagine the center as a um, as a, as a public sphere a la Habermas, that is neither controlled by the uh -huh. state nor controlled by the market. And we wanted that autonomy because uh, remember that the last book that he wrote in Portuguese is called uh, Pedagogy of Autonomy. It was translated in other ways in, uh -huh. in, in English, but he was talking about autonomy, which uh -huh. is essential constitution of emancipation and empowerment. So we wanted that autonomy. And lastly, we wanted to connect with the traditions that Fraser represented. One mm -hmm. was obviously in popular education, the concern about literacy and adult education. That was important. Mm -hmm. But another was the idea that universities should be open, should be free, should be a massive incorporating people who come to the university even if they don't have the uh, cultural capital and they yeah. are ready to uh, improve in their understanding of things but mm -hmm. they are also ready to transform the world hmm. we want to change the world and universities have a formidable yeah. responsibility and we do with that then we have the framework from where we started the public mm -hmm. institute it's now connected with the university. But when we decided to create it, I wanted to create it, it as a non-profit organization in California. Why? Because I didn't want even to submit the institute to the control of the university. But what happened yeah. that a very brilliant uh, dean uh, read a letter that I wrote because I learned I always follow the rules, uh, uh -huh. which rules that make sense, of course. <laughs> I, I, I don't follow all the rules, but rules that make sense, and I, I was director of the Latin American Center at the time. Mm -hmm. I was that for 10 years, and I received a note from somebody in the administration. You are going to be director of something. You have to get approval. So yeah. I wrote to my dean a little note saying, I'm creating the Paulo Freire Institute. It will be an uh, NGO, and I'm asking your approval. It will not take more than my free time when I'm out of the university, I hope you approve. So I sent that 
I like her, but she was not my friend. She was my dean. She turned out to be my friend at the end, but she was my dean. And, uh, mm -hmm. and the next day, my AA, Nina, Nina Moss, which, who was a very unique individual because she spoke four languages, uh, mm. lived in Latin America, almost married an Argentinian. She was really a mm. piece of, of, of Buenos Aires in the office. Uh, she will use terms that I have forgotten completely in Spanish, etc. Nina said mm. to me, uh, Carlos, you didn't want to see you. My first reaction was, what did I do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she said, I don't know, but she wants to see you. All right. When? Mm. Tomorrow, what time? So I went there and I entered the room really worried about what happened. And then she came and kissed me. And then it was the chair who also gave me a hug. So, so we sat there and both of them said, what are you creating an institute outside UCLA mm -hmm. when we can put it inside UCLA? Mm. And then I gave my speech about uh, the question of authenticity, autonomy, etc., etc. <laughs> so we agreed that we create the institute with complete autonomy and mm -hmm. the moment there is something I don't like, I will take the institute away. So there was an agreement. But one mm -hmm. thing that I do, maybe it's not good, but I do, is I trust my colleagues as mm -hmm. at face value. So yeah. we did not put anything in writing, just check hands. And she gave me some resources, which I never requested. And mm -hmm. the chair gave me some other resources and we created the institute, and the institute follow more or less the same principle that the institute is about. Yeah. So what have been your uh, main successes, and, and also what are, what are some of the challenges that you face and are facing? You mean in the institute? Yes, or in, 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 in the institute. Um, yes, in the institute. Yes, because I think the institute is uh, work from... I, even I don't get paid for being director of the institute. Mm -hmm. The institute and my students, we work uh, as volunteers. Mm -hmm. uh, the main success is that we have, uh, we started in 2002, and by now we are 16 years old with no funding, absolutely no funding. Wow. The university gave us a room, and that's all. Mm. Um, the second main success is that over my tenure at UCLA, mm -hmm. I had worked with brilliant students, males and females, who have engaged with me mm -hmm. in understanding and criticizing Freire and projecting the Freirean work towards different areas. Yeah. Uh, we are in one area, for instance, ecopedagogy. Uh, mm -hmm. We have uh, a first student, Ken, who wrote the first book on ecopedagogy in the U.S. Oh, yeah. yeah Douglas yeah, yeah. came with me. Then we had Greg Misiasek, who wrote a second book, Connecting Ecopedagogy with Global Citizenship Education. And I published the first book, which is uh, something called, no, no, I have so many books, I don't remember the title. I know. I know. Something called uh, uh, theoretical uh, and epistemological foundations of global citizenship education. The second book yes. is called Educating the Global Citizen uh, and is the use of ecopedagogy by um, Greg Nisiasek. And Greg really uh, took this conversation on ecopedagogy and Freire 
into another domain, which is global, global citizenship. And I have a third student. So imagine, we are looking at, at periods of five, six years. So it's 18 years to 20 years. Yeah. Third student finishing the field research in Mexico. Uh, uh, his name is Valles. Uh, is finishing the idea of how you use Freire in eco-pedagogy for training teachers that work at both sides of the border. So you can imagine how pleased I am with that, but there are many more. And that is another great success. We have created a fossil of critical Freudian studies at UCLA. Mm -hmm. But then, in addition to that, I teach two courses on Freire, one introductory course and an advanced course on Freire. Mm -hmm. And my next advanced course on Freire, and this is probably something you don't know, will focus on a new book that I just delivered the 31st of May mm -hmm. to William Sons. William Sons approached me oh, three yeah. years ago and asked me if I will edit the Willie handbook on Freire. Mm -hmm. And I said, yes, I will do that. So now this is a 245,000 words uh, handbook, 31 chapters plus a very long introduction that I wrote. And this will probably keep the flame on the in the foreign studies alive for another couple of decades mm. because I invited everybody who had anything to say uh, to to this book. Uh, a couple of colleagues said that they couldn't for one or another reason. Yeah. Uh, one one I will not name the person, but one <laughs> thing that surprised me was this question of. Uh, uh, could you write a, something about Freire? And this very famous person said to me, I have absolutely nothing else to say about Paolo. Hmm. Which really was hmm. very strange. So anyway. Yeah, what's the publication date? Or Well, the, that's a very good question. I don't even know, but imagine mm -hmm. we are now beginning to work on the copy uh, editing. Uh -huh. I suppose the publication date will be in 2019 at some point. Okay. All right. But the first reading of that monster manuscript will be done in uh, my class next winter. Ah. And finally, with two other colleagues uh, who endorse Ferreira and so on, we have created a trilogy of three undergraduate courses. Is now that has a number 150 to A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. And each course focuses on a topic. The problem is uh, education. And, and globalization, mm -hmm. the solution is global citizenship education and the application, which is taught by uh, a former student of mine who is a certified teacher in California, Jason Dorio, who is mm -hmm. really doing his first uh, cutting his teeth in academia. He is uh, working on, all right, now how we apply this in the classroom. Mm -hmm. so, this has been very successful course, and that's one way to apply Freire into a contemporary issue. Yeah, yeah, and 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 get the political context as as part of the <laughs> course, right? <laughs> Which is yes. uh, the, the, course, the course is is interesting because I have not experienced. One of my colleagues said I have already identified some of the Trumpian students. Yeah. So there is, <laughs> that thing in, in I mean you 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 get some some feedback. But UCLA is a is a yeah. you know a very distinguished university uh, is large 
and extremely multicultural. So people are very cautious of how they speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so um, also the Institute has a, a, a summer institute. Yes. Uh, and you bring in uh, K-12 through teachers. Could you talk a little bit about what happens in the summer institute? We have several summer institutes, but generally it's not for K-12 teachers. Uh, it's for graduate students. So we have oh, okay. universities, and they come and take two courses, which are certified through the Faculty of Extension. Mm-hmm. I teach courses with members of the Paulo Freire Institute and mm-hmm. some other people. Remember, at this time, uh, with my experience of teaching for more than 40 years, I have close to 20 to 25 uh, scholars located in uh, key universities around the globe. Mm. Um, my work has been translated in nine languages. I have conducted research in 20 different countries. So in all of these places, there are people who, uh, when I ask them to come, they will come and yeah. teach from their own perspective, which means they are their own people. They are not just my minions of people mm-hmm. who do what I want. Yeah. Uh, perhaps I'm too liberal, and perhaps I give, I like, with, the, with, this, <laughs> with, this, with this handbook, I am too liberal. I gave them a topic. What about Freudian religion? That's all I said. Yeah. And then I got 31 chapters with all these things that I have to put in some way that makes sense. Yeah. And it took me like two and a half months, and I really mm. write very, very, very quickly, two and a half months to really find the narrative thread that connect all of the things together. And it uh-huh. worked well, but it was a really extraordinary effort because I did not, uh, how can I put in this time? I did not uh, micromanage the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the process was Freudian as well, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> many, many Freudian processes are very chaotic. Uh, we have about 10 minutes left, so I'd like to go back to uh, theory and critique of uh, neoliberal capitalist education systems in the U.S. in particular right now, and a, and a kind of turn, I don't know if it's happening at UCLA, but it's certainly happening at uh, liberal arts colleges uh, on the East Coast, uh, a turn toward careerism toward uh, definitions of global and leadership that uh, bend toward the status quo, uh, even if it's a more progressive status quo. Um, So in in your education classes, um, well, and and especially with the way that, you know, the current Department of Education in the U.S. is headed, uh, and the teacher strikes to you know, the popular movement against um, uh, low pay and uh, other, you know, lack of respect in the profession. You know, what are you doing in your in your classes in education uh, and what do you see happening in, in education departments to uh, confront um, and, and change uh, this turn toward um, a more conservative and uh, unjust <laughs> Uh, upholding of, of unjust systems. Yes. The first thing I have to say is about the mantra of the Paulo Freire Institute because Freire gave me uh-huh. a second mantra. In my uh-huh. last conversation, it's been published already. Uh, I was talking to him on my way to the airport to go to Europe 
and he uh, we're talking about creating a book that will put some of his ideas into the contemporary context and mm -hmm. um, I said have you thought what we should do with this book and he said this was incredible he said Carlos we have to confront neoliberalism mm -hmm. with the new demon of our times mm -hmm. published somewhere now yeah. and that moment the connection ended because I was close to the airport and so on mm -hmm. I was on my car phone so that was the last time I talked to him two days later he was dead yeah and that is the second mantra <clears throat> so we know that we have to confront neoliberalism <clears throat> and I have spent a lifetime doing this because remember my biography is very peculiar I arrived to Stanford to study without knowing a word of English when Reagan took possession of the presidency so oh, I had the ability to watch inside with all my Marxist prism, with all my glasses, mm -hmm. I try to look and understand this neoconservatism, neoliberalism that, like Michael Apple has said, are two sides of the same coin. And I try to understand yeah. that in the context of the US imperialism. So imagine how, uh, how much since 1980 I've been studying this phenomena. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's crucial, it's a central element of our work and my work on globalization is about to critique neoliberalism as a hegemonic model. I believe mm -hmm. we need another globalization. But then you you ask about the school of education, you are about the students and what we do to mm -hmm. confront neoliberalism. Mm -hmm. yeah. Let me be very honest and I'm not saying this because it's going to be published, I say this because I believe. Mm -hmm. I don't believe there are many schools of education like mine. And it's not that I'm extremely happy with everybody, or there are things I don't like, but we have our orientation is social justice education, and it's written in our documents, mm -hmm. which has two effects. One, the people we attract are people who want to change the world. Yeah. And, and so our students are fantastic. Our students to be teachers are fantastic. My daughter was one of them, mm -hmm. and she is one of the... Uh, of the lecturers now as a master teacher working with the new students. I must tell you, I have no complaints in our orientation. Of course, there are different perspectives and social justice education could be the subject of a very long conversation. But the school definitely plays a major role in making us feel that at least with the people we work with, we are doing something that makes sense. Yeah. Now, the overall university, I cannot vouch for mm -hmm. it. And mm -hmm. This is a, it's a research university, and we have everything that you can imagine. Uh, mm -hmm. and one, just to give you an idea, in, a, in an oral examination, this, as it happened, there was some comment and said, well, we're in California, we virtually have no uh, Republican Party here, and one professor... Oh. External professor said, well, we are still some of us here. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, my view of the world is very biased. Obviously, California is California, but you still have people who have a particular perspective. So my sense is that what we do is what we should do, which is to talk about the question equity, equality, uh, empowerment, uh, and, and, and to look at how we can change this world in our, uh, at our means. We have very limited means. Mm -hmm. Now, in which direction this world is moving, your question about the post-2011, look, yeah. I changed my life. I, I moved to a rural area 
I decided to do things with my own hand and learn carpentry and uh, apiculture. Mm -hmm. I decided not to be just with my brain. In a, in a sense, very Marxist tradition. Mm -hmm. I want to work with my hands as much as I work with my them, with my mm -hmm. with my brain, which is the famous um, model that was used in some places of the. Uh, um, the combination of labor, mental labor, and manual labor. Mm -hmm. So I really changed this, and I tried people to figure out how they live in that context too, how they learn yeah. the life that they can consume uh, fruits and vegetables and so on, they're more healthy, how you come from the corporations, etc., etc. But you that in your daily life, not only in your classroom. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have another question for you in terms of going into a classroom. Uh, level, um, how how do you identify what would be a quote true liberatory practice in a classroom, um, and and what are the risks with with claims of liberatory education, because you can claim it and it's not really democratic or liberatory. Um, I mean, what really makes uh, a liberatory practice liberatory? Uh, in, a, in a classroom. Let me say one thing about liberatory practices, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Friede is one exponent, is one representative mm -hmm. of a model of liberation, but there are many more. Mm -hmm. Friede is not the only one, not the one that has the last word on this. Yeah. There are many different traditions. I have studied them in Africa with Umbuto. I have studied mm -hmm. them in Europe with... Uh, the models in the Netherlands, the models in, in other places in which you have uh, a very strong tradition of uh, a strong communal development. Mm -hmm. But you have that all over the world, right? Mm -hmm. uh, some elements of Buddhism definitely qualify. So mm -hmm. my sense is that to associate Freire with liberatory practices without recognizing the vast arrangement of mm -hmm. other options need yeah. to be qualified. There are many options and people do many things, and people read Freire in many different ways. Now, yeah. <clears throat> what are the problems with these practices? Well, one problem is possible, uh, what Freire himself criticized, which is basism, which base, basism. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> basism, it is celebration of popular knowledge, taught court, without a critical assessment, yeah. which I discussed with Freire for a long, long time. There is one question Freire never asked me, never, never, never answered me. Mm -hmm. And it's a question that is very proper for today because a lot of what you mentioned regarding the new times is yeah. the new models of we are, uh, we are observing in this globalization of corporative globalization of the world. And I asked him one day, how do you account for the alienation of the working class, of the peasantry? How do you account for the, the notion of alienation that Marx has defined in so many of his own works? Uh -huh. I think out of complete respect for the subaltern, Freire never answered my question uh -huh. that I posed twice. Maybe he didn't know how to answer this question, but I think this question requires to be answered. How you look at the question uh -huh. of alienation in the struggle for, for empowerment. That yeah. is a fundamental question. I don't have an answer. Mm -hmm. but one of the main problems is this basism, this uh, celebration taught court of the popular knowledge, the, yeah. the, 
the, the, the, the communities, etc. Honestly, every community has contradictions. It's the mm -hmm. central element of yeah. dialectics. Without contradictions, you don't have history. Mm -hmm. You assume that a community has no contradiction and we can draw the strength of our life from this community as if there is nothing to edit out. It's a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's one element. Yeah. The second element is another problem that Marxism has pointed out uh, very clearly, right? Mm -hmm. The petit bourgeois professor. The individual <laughs> that dresses as a radical but lives a life as an elite. Yeah. Uh, and there are many people, so-called Freirians, you may know that there are many <laughs> tribes in every division of the world, yeah. uh, who essentially uh, do not ever communicate or interact seriously with the working class, although yeah. the working class is within, exactly. in the world as well, but with the peasantry, with the poor, with the underrepresented, with the people that uh, are suffering this extraordinary yeah. uh, war against the poor that we are living today in the U.S. and elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, thanks for that. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Well, one last question, uh, and that is, you know, back to the importance of theory uh, in, in the work of social justice. Uh, what are you reading now, and what are some of the current influences on your, on your work and thought? Well, you you were very kind in uh, <clears throat> saying uh, your influences besides Freire, uh, too many to name. Gramsci, yeah. Mark, yeah. Oh yeah. Have a match with you, Illich, Rawls. Although I read, I read less Rawls. Do we got all? Yes, I read all of them and I reread them. Uh, for the more contemporary work I'm doing, <clears throat> one is about the great dilemmas of global citizenship. Mm -hmm. Um, remember, um, Gurnan Myrdal wrote in the 1940s a very powerful book called uh, The Negro, The American Negro and American Dilemma. That's the title, right? Mm -hmm. More or less the title. And he was saying that solving the problem of incorporation of the African Americans into the polity and into the civil society was central for America to become what? America aspired to be all the time, which is the, the land of freedom. How could you yeah. be the land of freedom when people don't have the freedom? Yeah. So that term is very appropriate by switching the terms and saying, now we have the world dilemma of global citizenship. Mm -hmm. Without global citizenship, we may not be able to preclude the world to disappear in a nuclear confrontation. Without global citizenship, and a mm -hmm. sense of organization at the central level in the UN, we may not be able to uh, control uh, countries that are out of control, like this administration with the inhabitant of the White House, absolutely out of control. Yeah. And with this, with with the lack of a cohesive uh, inter-country interactions through multilateralism, we won't be able to prevent in the next world. Yeah. And the next work could be extremely damaging. So, having said that, I'm reading everything that I can put my hands on, on legal theory around citizenship, elements of political economy around citizenship, new theories of, uh, of, um, of um, um, anything connected with the notion of 
democracy, new theories of democracy, mm -hmm. etc. But now, and that's the reason I'm moving to Germany, new theories of modernity. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a very interesting group of critical theorists in Germany, and particularly in, in Friedrich Schiller's Jena University, that I'm working on a new theory of modernization, particularly mm. one of my favorites is Harmut Rosa. But I also work with Benno Verlen, like W, right? Berlin W mm -hmm. is like Benno Verlen, who is now a UNESCO chair in uh, <clears throat> global understanding mm -hmm. of the world. These people are working on, on, on practical elements of how to understand what is affecting our civilizations. I want to learn more from them. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, uh, Carlos, for spending time with us today um, and uh, taking us from Freire to the present. Uh, so really appreciate it. It's a real pleasure, and I'm always at your disposal for further conversation. Carlos Alberto Torres of the Freire Center at UCLA. Nothing Never Happens happens because of a team. Our audio engineer is China Wilson with assistance from Megan Simmons. Our assistant audio engineer is Reagan Turner. Our technical consultant is Emily Gwynn and producer emeritus is Calvin Bergamy. Theme music and interstitial music is by Aviva and the Flying Penguins and Lance Eric Hagen, unless noted that it's by Paul Myray, who provides additional music for us. Thank you for listening. <laughs>